Well, if you turn back to the passage we just read in Acts chapter 13, Acts 13, and we'll be considering the whole passage that we read, but we can read again at verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now this book of Acts is really filled to the brim with wonderful narratives and events which show forth the power of the ascended Christ at work in the midst of his church. And that includes, or those include, wonderful narratives and events from how the Lord was at work in the life of Saul, whom we now know as Paul. Of course, Paul was famously a man wonderfully changed by the Lord on the road to Damascus. He was brought from being a great persecutor of the church of Christ to a great preacher in the church of Christ. And to that end, this book not only shows that Paul was a man wonderfully changed by the Lord, but it also shows us that he was a man wonderfully used by the Lord. And that was true in various ways, but not least on his missionary journeys, the three missionary journeys that are recorded for us. And here, this short narrative we read, really sets before us how his first missionary journey began as he set out on this first journey alongside Barnabas. And from this short narrative we can see, and by the Lord's help we will see this morning, some of the principles which founded this missionary journey. It's important that we see these things because these same principles should found our own mission as a church of Christ in our own day. We may not be able to say that we have had a road to Damascus experience in the way that the Apostle Paul can say or could say. But as Christians, as those who stand in Christ this day, can we not testify with Paul that we have been wonderfully changed by the Lord, brought from darkness into his marvellous light? And so then is it not our prayer that as the church of Christ in the present, we might also be wonderfully built up in the Lord and so too wonderfully used by the Lord as the church of Christ in the present of course not for our glory but for the glory of his name and so to that end we'll consider these founding principles 
as we can see them in these opening verses of this chapter. And we'll see that this mission, as Paul and Barnabas set out on this mission, they set out on a mission that was spirit-led, prayer-based, and gospel-centered. A spirit-led, prayer-based, and gospel-centered mission. Firstly, we'll see how this was a mission that was spirit-led. And that's made crystal clear to us from this verse that we read again in verse 2. We were told that the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now for us to know what was taking place here and to see how the Spirit was at work here and had been at work, you can first ask when the Holy Spirit said this. These events set before us here took place many years after Paul's conversion and his experience that's recorded for us in chapter 9 on the road to Damascus. In his letter to the Galatians in chapter 2, well in the opening chapter 2, Paul records his conversion experience. And he speaks of what the Lord had done in his life. And then he speaks in chapter 2 of a period of 14 years from the point of his conversion. And here we are at the end of that period. Where the spirit who had called him to himself was now saying, Separate to me this man for the work to which I have called him. The Spirit was separating him and setting him apart to this work. But in the years, that 14 year period from Paul's conversion, the Spirit was not dormant. And Paul himself was not inactive. No, the Spirit was at work preparing Paul for this work to which he would send him. In that same letter to the Galatians, Paul speaks of the various things that he did in that period. He went to Arabia for three years. He went to Jerusalem for a time. He then returned to his hometown of Tarsus. We read earlier in chapter 9 how after Ananias went to Paul in uh, Damascus, immediately he went out preaching the word. And that set the trajectory for this period as by studying and ministering, All the while the Spirit of God was at work, the Lord was at work, preparing Paul for this work to which he would send him. But of course Paul is not the only one mentioned here, but also Barnabas. Separate to me, the Spirit said, Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. As his name suggests, or as we can say, Barnabas lived up to his name. The scriptures testify that he was indeed a son of encouragement. In chapter 11, we read of what the scriptures say of this man. That he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And what a wonderful testimony that is. And this son of encouragement This man, good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, showed his true colours in a positive sense 
when Paul himself was converted, he went up to Jerusalem and the disciples there were wary of Paul, knowing him to have had such a, a past of severe persecution against Christ's church. They were wary, like Ananias was wary at first. But it was this man Barnabas who vouched for Paul and so uh, led, that led to Paul's acceptance among the disciples. The point here is that the Lord in his purpose had brought these two men together prior to sending them out on this mission. You see, the Lord was at work. In that passage in chapter 11, we read how Barnabas was at work in the, in the church in Antioch in Syria. And he went to find Paul and brought him to join him in that work. And they worked there together in service of the Lord for a whole year. And then they went up to Jerusalem to take the famine relief. And we read at the end of chapter 12 and verse 25 of Barnabas and Saul returning from Jerusalem, having fulfilled their ministry. So these men in these years were being used by the Lord. But as they worked alongside one another, surely they were also being prepared by the Lord for this mission to which or on which the Lord would send them. And in like manner, the Lord in our own lives can be using experiences that he leads us through, whether we know it or not, to prepare us for what he has for us in time to come. Such is the sovereignty of God and indeed the good purpose of God. We should note too that here, as the Lord was at work, he was not only at work preparing the missionaries, but also the mission field. He says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And at this point it seems quite vague as to where they would go. But it, comes, it becomes apparent that they would first go to the island of Cyprus. Cyprus was where Barnabas himself was from and of course it was where these men were called to go first and then they would go up to different cities in Asia Minor. But back in chapter 11 where we read, we read of people coming to Antioch from Cyprus preaching the word of God, proclaiming the Christ, sharing of Christ. They and others spoke so much of Christ that it was there in Antioch that the people of God were first called Christians. Those who were of Christ, those who spoke of Christ. And as we see the fact that the Lord was already at work in Cyprus, bringing forth fruit at Cyprus, what that reminds us is that as he was sending out Paul and Barnabas to go to that island and indeed to other places. This was not all about them, but they were part of a bigger work. They were part of the Lord's work. Yes, they were going to, to water and in some places break new ground and they were going to plant. But it is the Lord who gives the increase. Is that not what Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 3? Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
And as we apply that to ourselves, surely in one sense it should make us feel small and humble us, reminding us that as the church of Christ in our day we are part of a much bigger picture. This is the Lord's work. But should that not encourage us too as we serve in the name of the Lord and as we witness to the name of Christ, that although we may plant and although we may water, it is God who alone can bring the increase and is pleased to do so according to his will. It's with this in mind that some people think that this book would be better called The Acts of the Holy Spirit or uh, The Acts of the Spirit of Christ Through His Apostles. Because what this book testifies to, and even these verses, is that it was the Lord at work in His Church, in the nations, through His sent messengers. So here he was calling, the Spirit was calling Barnabas and Saul to go and to plant and to water. But who was he saying this to here? Well, he was saying it to the prophets and the teachers that are mentioned in verse 1, including Barnabas and Saul. We also have mentioned there Simeon, Lucius, and Menaean. And the mention of these other names, what that shows is that the Lord in his sovereignty and his good purpose had not only prepared the missionaries and the mission field, but he'd also prepared the church and the land from which the missionaries would be sent. He had raised up these men who would be able to fill the breach after Barnabas and Saul left on this mission. He was not leaving the church there as orphans, but he had provided for them and had provided so that that church in Antioch in Syria might continue to be built up by the grace of God. But as he said these things, as the Spirit spoke, most likely through a prophecy as was common in these days, as he spoke these words to these men, essentially to the church in Antioch, What this reminds us is that here the Spirit of God was not just at work in the church of Christ, but he was working through the church. As he called the church to separate these men, to lay hands on these men and send them out. And surely we see that in our own day too, with the inductions that we have before us. And in other ways too, we see the Lord working through his church. But what we can see in this passage is that although the Lord does work through his church, he uses the appointed leaders in his church. It is ultimately the Lord who calls. It is ultimately the Lord who calls. We see that because after saying these words to the people, we're told of the church that having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them in verse 3 they sent Paul and Barnabas away it says they sent them away but then in verse 4 it says of Paul and Barnabas so being sent out by the Holy Spirit so yes the, the elders these prophets and these teachers they laid hands on these men and then sent them out the testimony of scripture is ultimately it was the Lord sending out these men because it was the Lord leading these men 
and leading this work to which they were going. And is the Lord's sovereignty in this not clear even from those words that the Spirit spoke? Now separate to me, he said, separate to me, not to another, but to me. In that same letter to the Galatians, in chapter 1, Paul spoke about how he had been separated and set apart from his mother's womb. Separated and set apart from his mother's womb. He doesn't just say the spirit here, separate to me. But he says, separate them for the work to which I have called them to. To which I have called. We've noted how Paul, like every Christian, had been a man called by the Spirit out of darkness into light. Well, so too we see here how he, along with Barnabas, had been called to go forth and to proclaim the gospel of light. To those walking in darkness. We speak of the Apostle Paul, do we not? For the very word apostle in the Greek means sent one. Not sent by men, but sent by God. Just as the word disciple speaks of a follower. Not a follower of men, but a follower of the Lord. May that be true of each of us. So here we see, first of all, this was a spirit-led mission. You know, we may say, well, the spirit doesn't speak to us in this day, in our own day. We don't have prophets who give us these direct revelations of the word of God in our midst <laughs> as we speak together or as we pray together. We must always remember And hear the question that Paul himself asked the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? The Spirit of God, the same Spirit of God that we read read of in this book. He dwells in the heart of each of his people. The Spirit is as powerful today As he ever was. And though some of the things that we read of in this book have ceased. The spirit himself has not ceased. Christ spoke of giving us the spirit as a helper and as a comforter. One who would lead us into and guide us into the truth. His truth. One who is able to help us to discern the will of God. And so with these things in mind. As we pray to the Lord, may we each be spirit-led. May we each be seeking the help of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the comfort of the Lord, and indeed the strength of the Lord as we serve in the name of the Lord. A spirit-led mission. But along with that, we can see secondly and more briefly that this was a prayer-based mission as well. These men set out on a mission that was prayer-based. I've spoken of the Lord's sovereignty. And of course, the Lord works according to his own purpose. But the Lord within that, he does hear and respond to the prayers of his people. 
Verse 2, we read that the Spirit said these things to these men as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And by the words that we read here, we can see that these were men who were dependent upon the Lord and were seeking the Lord, fasting, the company prayer. And so while they were ministering to the Lord, while they were actively serving the Lord, they were actively seeking the Lord at the same time. And that is the nature of true service in the Lord's name. Not just actively serving, but all the while actively seeking him, his guidance, and indeed his strength. So they were praying before this call came. But in verse 3, we see that they were praying after the call came from the Spirit as well. Then, verse 3, having fasted and prayed, he laid hands on them and sent them away. What we see here is that this call for these men to be sent out of this mission, this call to this mission was sandwiched in prayer. They prayed before and they prayed after and as we see that this call to this mission was sandwiched in prayer do we not see and can we not say that this mission to which these men were called was founded on prayer it was founded on prayer and we can be sure that as they did lay hands on them and as they sent them out and in all the time that they were away that still prayers were being offered for these men by the church there in Antioch. And I think we can be sure of that because as we read of the church of Christ in this day, as we read through this whole book of Acts, one thing we see is that just as ready as the people were to go and proclaim the gospel of Christ, so ready were they to pray through the name of Christ. Right at the beginning of the book, the trajectory is set. In chapter 1, as Christ ascended up into heaven, we read in verse 14 of the people, his people who were left, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. There in the upper room, they continued with one accord in prayer. And that continued throughout the book. What we read of in this book is a prayerful people but taking a quick look, I counted 28 times in this book where references are made to God's people praying. There are 28 chapters in this book. So as many chapters as there are in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, there are references to the apostles or to the people praying through the name of Christ. And as the people here, as these men here prayed to the Lord, surely they showed their understanding of Psalm 127, where it says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders toil in vain. These men, they knew that unless the Lord went with these missionaries, apostles, this mission itself, unless he laid his hand upon them, unless he 
paved the way before him, unless he blessed the work of their hands, then their labor, labor, their mission, would be in vain. We're told at the end of chapter 14, as we'll see this evening when they returned, that here the people had essentially commended Paul and Barnabas to the grace of God. A beautiful phrase, commended Paul and Barnabas to the grace of God for this work. And that's because they knew that they were in need of God's grace. Just as it was by God's grace that Paul had been called from darkness to light, so too it was by God's grace that many souls to whom they would go would come out of the darkness or be brought out of the darkness into the light of Christ. We should note here though it wasn't just that here was a people who were praying frequently. They were also praying earnestly. Twice we see the mention of fasting accompanying their prayers in verse 2 and in verse 3. Speaking of their earnestness in prayer, their seriousness in prayer, their longing for Christ the bridegroom who had now ascended into heaven to go with Paul and Barnabas, to lead Paul and Barnabas and to bless them as he had called them to this work. And this reminds us that it's not just that we are called as Christians to, to pray often, but we're called to pray in a certain manner. Or what I should say is it's, it's not just about praying. What the Lord is concerned with is how we pray. But that I don't mean that we simply need to add a, a fast to our prayers for our prayers to be pleasing before the Lord. It's about a state of heart. It's not really about food. It's about faith. It's about praying from the heart. I spoke earlier about the spirit and how the spirit remains to be a spirit of power. We can so easily underestimate the power of the spirit in our own day. But just as easily we can underestimate the power of prayer in and through the name of Christ. And in a day when there is little fruit to be seen, as is true perhaps across our whole land, it can be very easy for us as God's people to grow weary in prayer and to lose heart in prayer. But we must persevere. Christ himself calls us to persevere in Luke 18, to not lose heart in prayer. And one of the things that should encourage us to continue in prayer is that when the church of Christ is fruitful, when the church of Christ is seeing much fruit, one of the hallmark features of that church is that the church will be prayerful. I had the pleasure of studying alongside some Christians from China at seminary in Pittsburgh. And they're very vibrant Christians. As you know, the Lord is working wonderfully in that land. And there are many aspects of their life which really set them apart. You could speak of, of their love towards the brethren, of their, of their holiness, of their zeal to go out with the gospel and see conversions. But the one thing that stood out more than anything else was their prayerfulness. Their prayerfulness. 
They were seeing much fruit in their lives and in the lives of their churches. But they were seeing also where the fruit was coming from. Their eyes were set upon the Lord and they were seeing that it was from the Lord where that fruit was coming. He was giving the increase. And so they were continuing in prayer. They were praying from the heart. And so if a fruitful church is prayerful, how much more in a day when we are seeing little fruit should we be found in prayer, calling upon the Lord who gives the increase, praying from the heart, trusting in our hearts that he is yet able to do great things in our own day according to his will. Here we see a prayer-based mission. It must have been a difficult thing for the church in Antioch to send out Paul and Barnabas. They were surely dear men, they were gifted men, they were precious to the church. They may not have known or they wouldn't have known if they would see Paul and Barnabas again. This would be a mission with dangers at every turn, persecution too. But they sent them out praying for them. And we can be sure that just as they continued in prayer for Paul and Barnabas, so too as Paul and Barnabas went, they continued in prayer for the church at home and indeed for their own mission with the Spirit that we sang of in Psalm 40, which we ourselves must have in our prayer, the Spirit of Christ, thy will be done, not my will, but thy will be done. And we can see that that was their spirit. Or we can um, come to the conclusion that that was their spirit. Because we can see from this, these verses that this was a mission that was in keeping with the revealed will of God. Or with the word of God or the will of God revealed in the word of God. And that's our third principle to note, our third and final principle. Just as this was a spirit-led mission and a prayer-based <coughs> mission, so too it was a word-centered or a gospel-centered mission. And we see this first by the fact that it was, as I've just mentioned, it was governed by the word of God. And we see that not just because the people here <laughs> obeyed the word of God that was spoken here in Antioch. Separate to me Barnabas and Saul. We can see it because this was also, as they sent out these men, it was also in keeping and in obedience to the word of God that had been spoken long before in Damascus. We read in chapter 9 of what the Lord said to Ananias of Paul. He told Ananias to go to him, verse 15 of chapter 9, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles. The Lord had chosen Saul long before as he spoke himself being separated from his mother's womb. This was God's purpose for him. 
to go forth to the Gentiles. And so here we see that being fulfilled according to the word of God. It wasn't just that portion of God's word that was being fulfilled with Paul and Barnabas going out, but even before that, right at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, we read of the people praying in that chapter, in chapter 1. Well, before that, before Christ ascended, he spoke of his people going forth, his messengers going forth as witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but from Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so here, the church was sending out Barnabas and Saul to go to the nations with the word of God, to preach that word to Gentile peoples. Of course, by this point, there had been conversions amongst the Gentiles. There were some conversions of Gentiles in the Old Testament recorded for us as a, a foreshadowing of the greater conversions that were to come, or in number at least. In this book before this point, we've read of Cornelius who came to Christ. Chapter 11, verse 18 We're told that when they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. So conversions were coming amongst the Gentile peoples, but the Lord had the plan to use Paul and Barnabas to go forth to Gentile lands and through their ministry, as the Spirit worked, they would be a a more full conversion amongst the Gentile peoples. The Lord shining his light upon them in greater fullness. Of course, Paul was not just commanded and commissioned to go to the Gentiles. But as as we read, he was commanded and commissioned to go and bear the name of God to the Gentiles. To bear my name, the Lord said. And so as we read of them being sent out here, we can see that they were sent out and they went out as those who were focused on proclaiming the word of God. Verse 4, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, which was the port city, about 15 miles from Antioch. And they sailed in the Mediterranean to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, that was on the east of Cyprus, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They preached the word of God. As we've seen, Paul was called out of darkness into light. He had been commissioned by the Lord to be a preacher of that light with the prayer that the Lord himself would cause the light of truth to shine in the hearts of many as they went. And here as he went, we can see as they started this journey, they first went to the synagogues of the Jews in Cyprus. We should remember this was really their pattern as they went from city to city throughout their mission. We should remember that although the Lord did say that Paul would be his chosen vessel to bear his name to the Gentiles, he also said, Gentiles, kings, 
and to the children of Israel. Of course, the way was opened to the Gentiles through the Jews' rejection of the gospel. And so it wasn't that they were bypassed with the gospel. But as we see here, they heard the gospel. They heard it and they heard it often. And some did believe, but so many rejected it. And so the apostles went forth to the Gentiles. But as we've read, and what I want to note here is that as they went to the synagogue, really the first thing they did on the island, they didn't perform miracles at this point. They didn't perform works of mercy. But we're told they preached the word of God. They preached and proclaimed the Lord who had sent them. Christ has promised to build his church. And he uses his church to that end and those whom he raises up in his church. He does so primarily through the proclamation of his word. I mentioned how in a day of little fruit we can grow weary with prayer. Well, so too we can be tempted to grow weary with the preaching of the word and perhaps be tempted to neglect the preaching of the word. But we must not do so. We must not doubt how the Lord can use this precious means of grace. As the Lord builds his church, he's not just invested in the building itself, but also in how it is built. And so while we must be zealous to serve in the Lord's name and to, and to see fruit coming from the Lord's hand, we must have hearts ready to serve. We must have our eyes set on the Lord and be looking to serve in accordance with his word not be not being driven by the culture of our own day but being driven by and shaped by the word of god and at the heart of this is not neglecting or diminishing or despising the primacy of the preached word and as the word is preached, and as the word goes forth, surely flowing from that, what we desire to see is, like what we read of the, the people in Antioch, the word pouring forth from us ourselves, as we share of Christ and speak of Christ in our own lives. In the previous chapter, to the chapter we're considering here, there's a wonderful verse which shows us the connection between the word of God and the building of the church of God. In the previous chapter, we read of Herod persecuting Christ's church. He killed James, he imprisoned Peter. And then towards the end of the chapter, we read of Herod raising himself and enthroning himself essentially as God. But then God, who is sovereign and who is king, struck Herod dead. We read in verse 24 of chapter 12. The word of God grew 
and multiplied. And that's the Lord speaking of his church growing. And so connected is the church to the word. that He speaks of this as the word of God growing and multiplying. The word of God going forth. And the God of the word bringing forth fruit. And that's what was to take place on this first missionary journey. A mission that was spirit-led, prayer-based, and gospel-centered. The Lord was pleased to bring forth much fruit. And as we've seen that these were the principles with which this missionary journey began, Lord willing, we'll see this evening, is that it was with these principles and founded upon these same principles that this first missionary journey ended as well. Just in closing, as we apply this to ourselves, again we may find ourselves saying, well, we don't have the Spirit saying to us in a prophecy like this, Separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work. As I mentioned, we have the same spirit in our day. We have the same word in our day. We have the same God at work in our midst. So then may these principles we've seen be the principles of our own mission as the Church of Christ in our own day, with a view to the advancement of Christ's cause in our own midst, for the glory of his name. May the Lord bless these thoughts upon his truth. Psalm 72, we'll close with in singing. Psalm 72. <clears throat> Closing three verses. Paul and Barnabas went forth proclaiming the name of the Lord. And here we're reminded that this is a name which forever shall endure. And so it's the same name that we proclaim this day as well. His name forever shall endure, last like the sun it shall. Men shall be blessed in him, and blessed all nations shall him call. Now blessed be the Lord our God, the God of Israel, for he alone doth wondrous works, in glory that excel, and blessed be his glorious name to all eternity, the whole earth. Let his glory fill. Amen. So let it be. And may that be our prayer. The whole earth will all the more be filled with the glory of God. We'll sing these three verses. Standing to sing to God's praise, our meaning standing for prayer. <coughs>